Anybody like cereal? Show of hands. In fact, does anybody not like cereal? Because that would be a weirder, like, you're not welcome here. Like, if you can't have a bowl of cereal with us. Uh, I've noticed that, uh, that cereal is fantastic, and if you're eating the right kind of cereal, slash wrong kind of cereal, uh, then you're getting both a meal and a dessert at the same time. It's fantastic. Uh, there's this idea that when you're a kid, you just eat all that stuff up, right? I mean, my kids can go through a box of cereal like piranhas. I mean, it's wild how fast. We have to get the healthy stuff so they don't touch it because they can consume it so quickly. And as a child, like all you think is sugar, good, got to have a lot of it, right? And as an adult, though, you start being more aware of things like diabetes, love handles, uh, diet and exercise. Like we may not adhere to diet and exercise, but we're aware of it. So we don't consume cereal three meals a day because your brain starts to evolve. You start to re, uh, relearn the way the world works. As a kid, you just think things are the way they're supposed to be. You're just, this is good. I got to have a lot of it and I move on. Fortunately, uh, we evolve in relationships, and we learn and relearn in uh, finances and, and health and fitness and on and on. We're always learning through neural pathways and constantly absorbing new information. If this is a new experience for you this morning, then your brain is just going crazy because we're always learning. But here's what I've discovered uh, about most adults. In fact, I would almost argue all adults, is that at some point in all of our lives, we have uh, had a God encounter. We've had an experience with God. It's been presented to us through the context of a room like this. Maybe it was in a school. Maybe it was with a parent or a grandparent. But you had someone present God to you or you had some exposure or experience with God. And what you did in that moment was you began to formulate your opinion about who God is based on that experience. So if God was used to uh, put you down or to suppress you or to hold you back, then your experience of God is that he wants to keep you from living uh, a big life. And, and if your experience was to lift you up in love and kindness, and your experience is that God just wants to love on you. And, and so all of us have this, this God narrative where we believe we know what he's up to and what he's doing in the world. The problem is for a lot of us is that even though our uh, ability to relearn is, is transferred into all areas of our life, a lot of us still hold the same views of God that we did when we had that first encounter with him. Meaning if you were a, a child and you had someone use God to hurt you or abuse you or suppress you, you still view God in that way. You might have tried to reconcile that or try to work around that, but that's still who you think God is. If, if someone's presented to you, uh, if someone's presented in your life as, as, a, as a representative of God and they've hurt you or abused you, you think that's God. If someone's come at you in a different angle, you think that's God. And what we don't ever do is we don't relearn or rethink who God is. We just take our, um, our preconceived ideas into our next stage of life. And we're going to go into another stage of life as you get older, and that's just how life works. We take those preconceived ideas of, of who God is into that as well. And so we end up just keeping that same view while also growing. And what I want us to do through this next couple of weeks is I want us to rethink God. Not reimagine God, not remake God. Certainly don't want to remake God. I want us to rediscover God. Not the God of your past, but the God of the Scriptures. The God who is working and, and moving in the world around us. I want us to learn and rediscover who God really is. That as we start a conversation called Here and Now, what we're seeking to do is we're seeking to discover who God is. We want to look at the idea that God is here and he's working now. 
And we want to explore the infinite nature of God. We want to look at why he sent his son. Why Jesus? And why did Jesus leave and, and, and leave us with the Holy Spirit? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about God in the form of the Father, God in the form of the Son, and God in the form of the Holy Spirit. But this morning, we're going to talk about God the Father. And it's a complicated uh, subject because uh, as much as we are confused, or well, you may not feel confused, but as much as we get God wrong, we get God the Father even more wrong. As much as you think that maybe the, the idea of God might be misrepresented in your life, because we can use the word God in a large enough room and we're going to get a lot of various ideas of who God is and why he came or why he created us or whatever. But when you say God the Father, all of a sudden, all of our ideas and, and preconceived notions and experiences with a father figure come into play. So now all of a sudden we're thinking, okay, God, I'm not really sure, and Father, I know that one. My father was good, or my father was bad, or my father was this or that. And so we start taking all of these experiences that we've had in our life, and we piece them together, and we treat God like an inkblot. We, we throw onto him who we think he is, or why he came, or what we think he should be. It becomes more about the seer's view of God than actually who God is. And if we don't stop, take a step back and go, am I experiencing God for who he actually is in the scriptures, or Am I projecting onto him who I think he is and that's how I'm relating? Then we're going to always find that we're missing out. That God as a father is complicated. And so many of us have created a God in our own image and we deeply hold our views in high regard. That we're, we're continuing to project and as a society and as a culture we're making it even more challenging. The Church of England currently is debating gender neutral terms for God. And this idea that maybe God is gender neutral, well, the scriptures are, are, are pretty clear. The scriptures are clear on God is our Father, even calling him Abba or Abba, which is Aramaic for Daddy, that it's very clear who God is in scripture. He's not ambiguous. And yet, because of our own desire to make God in our own image, we keep trying to shape and reshape and form and reform God to fit our needs. We want to remake God in our image so that he can like the people we like and hate the people we hate. We want to reshape God in our image so that we can live any way we want and God will actually support that. My God will actually support my sin and he'll look the other way. And the reality is we're doing ourselves a grave disservice. That if we can't discover who God really is, then we can't align our lives with him. We can't allow him to lead us and, and, and create something new in us. And who we think he is or who we want him to be actually reduces God down to our own creativity and imagination. We limit God in his capacity and his ability based on what we think he's capable of doing. So when we project onto him who we need him to be or who we want him to be or who we think he should be, we're limiting who he actually is. And often we run from God because of what we think or what we think we know of him. That if you have projected onto God that he's this cosmic police officer, then you want to hide everything from him. You want to run from him because you're afraid he might uh, catch you. Uh, but it would be a tragedy for all of us if we were running from God because of who we think he is and not for who he actually is. But what if you were raised to believe that uh, birds hunted humans, right? All your life, you just thought, well, birds, they're going to hunt me, right? They're, they're out after me, and, and maybe you have, and I apologize. There's this idea, though, that if we were raised to believe that, that every time you left, you'd be on the lookout. You'd be concerned. You'd be worried. 
Every day you would live in this great fear of, of birds. And if you have that fear, I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of you, but we've got to rethink this thing. And there's this idea that a lot of us have been raised to believe that maybe God's out to get you or God's just waiting for you to mess up so he can just usher in all this pain. And, and what happens is when we begin to uh, formulate an idea about somebody, all of a sudden everything that we see around them starts to reinforce that. So if there was a narrative that uh, Andrew, he was playing guitar here, that he's uh, super prideful, you know, he's just a really cocky guy. Can you believe that guy? And he's up here playing, you're like, look at him moving around. He's just like drawing attention to himself. And he fixed, moves his hair, like, look at that, he's so cocky. Then all of a sudden, everything he did, you go, man, that guy's good. He, and he's not. If you know Andrew, he's like the exact opposite. But if you thought that, that was your narrative. If you thought the birds were after you, you'd be like, there's one, look, it's looking at me funny. Birds are always looking at all of us funny, you know what I mean? Like, maybe they are up to something. I'm not saying that they are. We treat God the same way when we think God's out after me, that all of a sudden that car wreck you had, you're like, that's it. It was God. He just, he knew I was messing up. He knew what I was thinking, and he just caused the car wreck. All of a sudden, things in our life start reinforcing the narrative that we've been led to believe. And it's not that that's who God is. That's the story that you tell yourself, and then you're allowing the circumstances in your life to reinforce the narrative, and our brains love that. And there's this idea that God has come to love us unconditionally, and we table that to go, no, no, I've been led to believe this is who God is, and we pursue that. And many of us have developed a limited sense of who God is, and we relate to him based on who we think he should be. But who we think he is isn't who he is. Who he is is who he is, and the scriptures breathe life into that. That what we know about God is that he comes to us in the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So God comes to us in three persons. In the church, we call that the Trinity. It's a word that we've kind of invented, and you don't find it in scripture, even though you do find it uh, heavily reinforced in scripture. We believe in the Trinity here. We believe that God is in three persons. He comes to us in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's complicated. And this is your first time in church or first time in a while, it's easy to go, well, maybe God's bipolar. Maybe God's confused on who he is, and maybe, maybe we've got to figure this out. And, and, and I get it. it he also uh, understands through history that this is a complicated thing to sort through. And I've known many people to, to wrestle with this idea that, that God is one God, but he comes in three persons. And yet, I've heard it described in various analogies. Uh, one was H2O. H2O comes just in the form of ice right? It can freeze up. Uh, H2O comes to us in the form of water. H2O comes to the form of steam. It's still the same substance. It just comes in different forms. I've heard people describe the Trinity like an egg. You got the shell, you got the yolk, and you got the stuff in the middle of it, and, and yet it's all coming from a chicken. Uh, however, my favorite uh, explanation is from Augustine. Augustine, uh, a great theologian, describes God using psychological analogy. He, he talks about the human mind and the reality that we are one person and yet we have three faculties. We have memory, understanding, and will. That you're one person but you have memory, you have understanding, and you have will. You have various parts of you but yet you're still you. And as these acts can never be fully separated, so is it with the Trinity. That God is one God and he's not multiple gods. Uh, I spent some time in India several years ago, and we had to be careful and had to be trained that as you're talking to someone who's uh, polytheistic, who believes in many gods, they'll, they'll take God really quickly. They'll accept God really fast. In fact, they'll accept the Trinity because it's like, hey, i got three gods to add to my other gods. And, and that's not what we're describing. We're talking about accepting God and rejecting other gods, that God is one God and yet comes to us in three persons. But regardless of how you view God, if you're describing the Trinity as somebody who doesn't 
fully know God, it'll be confusing. And you can imagine if I asked you to describe Embrace Church, but you had only driven down the street and passed us, you'd be like, well, it's a brick building. It's got a tall steeple. It's got some landscaping work that needs to be done, but somebody will step up and do it at some point. It's got some branches that we need to get rid of. Uh, parking lot looks nearly paved. You would describe the outsides. You wouldn't describe inside. Got green carpet. We're working on that. They wouldn't describe you. They wouldn't describe me, right? It would only be one aspect. To answer this question, who is God, it requires more nuance. It requires more detail, and it requires a relationship with God, a journey, a walking alongside him, because God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all aspects of God, but aspects encountered at different times for different reasons, at different ends, that many times, though, we break God down into the Old Testament and the New Testament God. If you've spent any time with the Scripture, you know, you don't want the Old Testament God He's quick to smite people, and, and he's angry, and, and there's things going on. I don't want that God. We run from that God, and we gravitate towards the New Testament God. We act like he's, you know, all of a sudden uh, super kind, and, and he hasn't changed, and, and we run from one God, and we try to accept the other God who seems a whole lot kinder, and there's this reality that we st- tend to use singular terms to isolate And there are moments in all of our lives we wouldn't want to define us, so for God, we have to take God from Genesis to Revelation. We have to look at who God is in the beginning of time. We have to look at God in the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end. And we begin to develop or redevelop or rethink who God really is based on the entirety of the Scripture. That we can't just handpick isolated events where God presents himself and define him by, based on those events. That we look at the Scriptures as a whole and we want to seek to clear up any misunderstanding. And we're making it more complicated as a society, but in order to understand who God is, we have to fully look at why he came and why he created us. And in order to understand God, I think it's important to look at some of the names that we give him. There's a lot that you can know about someone's name. Uh, When you know their actual name, you discover some things. When you know what people call them behind their back, you discover other things. When you learn their nicknames, how they develop them, how they earn them, uh, you learn even more. When you learn people's titles, you start to discover more. Uh, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a pastor, uh, I'm a husband, various, various things. I'm a, a horse dad, is that a, that's a title. There's this idea that when you begin to define these titles, they start to put together a more holistic picture of who someone is. And so I think it's important, and, and God has a lot of names in Scripture, and we're going to pull out three of them to help us understand uh, just three basic aspects of who God is and, and what he came to do. The first one is, uh, the first name for God is Elohim. Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. It's a lot of different pronunciations, and so, like, if you're like, that's not the right way, just keep that opinion to yourself. I'm trying here. There's this idea, though, that Elohim, the creator God, comes to us at the very beginning of Scripture. In Genesis 1, we find that Elohim is presented to us in Genesis 1. 1 it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, first impressions are important. I think they're important. The first time you meet someone, you start to make judgments, and right or wrong, we all do it, and there's this idea that God has an opportunity to present himself in human history, and he's going, okay, how do I want to start the scriptures? And I've often thought of some, like, really fun, you know, wild ways that God could have introduced himself into the world. And yet what God does is he decides to introduce himself into the world as a creator. Not any creator, the great creator. In the beginning, God created. 
And Elohim describes God as the great creator. Elohim in the Hebrew scriptures um, it appears in the very first sentence. It's Elohim. And what's interesting in Hebrew is that the last two letters of any word uh, often define whether it's masculine or feminine. And for I am, it defines him as a masculine God. I am defines uh, God as a, a male figure. I am in the Hebrew is further reinforcing that God is our father. And, and many people use Elohim in, in the history to be plural. Not many gods, but to be plural, which further reinforces the idea that he's a part of the Trinity. That Elohim is our creator God. Steps forth into human history and he creates. In the beginning there was nothing the earth was formless and void, and God begins to speak everything into existence. And if you go down to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man. In our own image, our own image, according to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and he created them female. His first impression is God saying, I'm going to create. When he creates and he speaks things into existence, he begins to then create mankind. After creating a perfect world. In a perfect place, in a perfect solar system, in a perfect galaxy, in a perfect place in the universe. He creates a being that is imperfect and has the capacity to reject his creator. God creates everything, puts mankind into uh, the world that he's created, and gives us the capacity to reject him, to walk away. He created the only thing that could bring him pain, the only thing that could ever inflict pain upon him, the only pain that he would ever feel was because uh, of us, that we're the ones that separated ourselves from God. It's because of our sin, our choices, that we're separated from him or separate ourselves from him. Yet he knew that we would have that potential, yet he knew that some of us would make that choice, and he still created us. And what's even more beautiful is once God created heaven and earth and spoke everything into existence and he made mankind, what did he say about it? He said it was good. He said it was good. God saw all that he had made, everything that he had created. He said, this is good. I look around the world and I go, this is not good. I look on that Evansville watch. Don't go to Evansville watch. You know what I mean? Things are not good. Just in our city. I'm sure you got it like Phoenix watch. Like all the other cities. Can you imagine Chicago watch? Like look out. Things are not good. And yet what God did was he created all things and he said, it's still good. It's still good. And we look around and what we do as human beings is we start to view God through the lens of humanity. God creates us and he puts us in motion. He says everything is good. And, and, and all of a sudden we start looking around and going, no, we're not good. We're not okay here. And we start thinking the world is not good. God, as a creator, has created his creation to create. And what we've done with our creative potential is we've created evil. Or we've created, we haven't created evil, but we've taken part in evil and sin. And all of a sudden we look back and we go, this is not good. The problem is we're looking through things through our lens and we wonder, how can God exist if humans are so bad? How can God exist when there's so much violence and suffering and, and pain in our world? How can God be good? And how can God call what he created good when there's so much bad? And in Romans 3.23, it explains why so much bad still exists. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. We're all sinners. And what happens is we find ourselves hurt and wounded by other human beings, and we question whether God's good. We find ourselves being hurt by other sinners, and we go, well, God can't be real. I've heard many, many people over the years say, how can God exist while, you know, so much suffering transpires? We look at the pain and the hurt and the suffering, and we say, God can't be real. What we don't do is we don't look at the love and the compassion, the grace and the mercy that others show us. What we don't do is look at how beautiful the creation is around us, and we don't go, well, God is good. We look at all the pain and the bad, and we say, God can't be good, or God can't exist. And even for a brief moment, we should be drawn to God because all that he's created is beautiful and there is good in humanity that evil is not proof that there is no God evil is proof that we were not created to live apart from God and when we're living apart from God we're living like a fish walking on land it wasn't created to live that way and it doesn't make it bad it means that there is a good God who wants to reconcile us to him through the person of Jesus and that'll be next week but even when we don't believe in God I need you to know that God still believes in you and even though you, don't, you may not believe that everything that God has created is good, I need you to know that God still looks at what he's done and he says, this is good. This is good and he's given us a free will. And he wants us to, to use our free will to come to him. And, and he's moving heaven and earth to draw us to him. But he still gives us that choice. And because we're sinful, living in a fallen world, we still use that choice to create evil. But God is so perfect that he can create imperfect beings made perfect in him if we'll just come to him. That is Elohim, that is creator God. The second name is Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, this is the I am God. In context, uh, in Exodus, God reintroduces himself to humanity through a bush to a man named Moses. And uh, in context, God's people, the children of Israel, have been oppressed for generations by Egyptians, and God was choosing this moment in human history to, uh, to deliver them. And in Exodus 3.10, it says, Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I've sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. And then Moses asked, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? In context, God's saying, it's time, Moses. We're going to deliver my people. You're going to go. And Moses is saying, who am I? What, is, what does my name matter? What am I? I don't have any of the credits. I don't have any of the abilities. Uh, and, and if you know much about him, you know he's deeply flawed. And, and then he's going, well, who do I tell him you are? What is your name? And, and God responds. He says, the God of your fathers has sent me. Uh, and, and they will ask, what is his name? And in verse 14, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. That's it. I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. This is all anyone needed to know. I am sent you. God uh, is the I am. He is Yahweh. He is with us. He is ever present. And everything that we know comes from some point of reference. So for you and I, everything that we know about, everything that we understand, it all has some point of reference to it. Uh, you hear a, a new, new artist or new music, and you, you often compare it to something else. You, it kind of sounds like this, kind of sounds like this. If you were to give directions, right, you often give directions based on points of reference. 
I can't tell you how many people in this city love to use north, south, east, and west. Like, I'm not Christopher Columbus. I'm not, I feel like I should carry around a compass. They're like, it's the north side of the building. I'm like, well, hold on a second. Let me figure out where the sun is. I don't know. I don't understand. Help me. Is, the dump, is it by the dumpster? That's what I usually say. No, the opposite of the dumpster. Like, great. I'll see you over there. We have points of reference for everything. It's how we get around. It's how we navigate. It's how we know who we are, right? God has no point of reference. He existed before time. He existed before space. And he'll be here. God has no point of reference. He is who he is. He is I am. We can't go, well, it's kind of like this or kind of like that. No, God is. And what God is saying, I am. And, and therefore, there's no reference point. There's no way that we can draw comparisons. There's no, judge, there's no comparison. There's, there's no uh, judging him or weighing him against others. There's just God and he is. And it's interesting because when God introduces himself to Moses, he doesn't say, I'm the creator God. I'm the one that created you. God says, I'm Yahweh. He says, I'm with you. And what I think is so beautiful about this is that God created everything, and he made mankind. And it would have been enough to create it all, set it all in motion, and step back and watch. But he chooses to be with us. He chooses to be near his creation. Now, I'll be honest. I've got two teenagers, about to have three, and there are many times when I want to be nowhere near my creation. No offense, gentlemen. Right? They're wonderful kids. They're beautiful human beings, and I love you to death, but there are just some times, and yet God has infinitely more reason to be nowhere near us. Right? We've given him plenty of opportunities to go, I want nothing to do with that guy. Uh, you're on your own, man. I'm going to be over here. We keep giving God more and more reasons to leave us alone. And yet God says, I am. I'm with you. Through your hurt and through your brokenness and through your pain and through your suffering, through the worst moments of your life, and even when you inflict those upon yourself because of your poor choices, God says, I'm still here. I'm still here. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't left you to fend for yourself, but I'm with you. And he hates that we go through those things, but he's welcoming us with loving, open arms, saying, just come on back to me. Your choices led you away. Your choices can lead you back. I'm right here. I am who I am. And what he's saying is, Yahweh, this is the most critical thing. Yahweh is the intimate God, the present God. What you need to know, Moses, is that my name means I am with you. And if I'm with you, then I'm for you. And regardless of where you go and regardless of what you do, God is with us. There's no comparison. There's no point of reference. The creator God is also the present God. Because of the term Yahweh was so sacred, they created just letters to represent Yahweh. They were so revering the Lord's name. They wouldn't even say it all the way or write it or speak it. And many people as of late believe that the sound of breathing mimics that of the word Yahweh. This is not reinforced in Scripture other than God has created us. And if he created us, it would, it would reason that everything inside of us would stand to serve him. And so there's this theory that everything that we, every time we breathe, we're speaking God's name. Yahweh, 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 meaning God's name is on your lips every waking moment of your life until your dying day. 
whether you believe in him or, or not, his name is on your lips. That every breath you take is speaking God's name. I'm with you. So every breath you take, you're reminded that God is present, that God is with you. And, and this is obvious in our lives that God is near us, but there are times when things are hurtful and painful, and we need a reminder. And when you breathe, you take a deep breath in. You can go, yah. And when you breathe out, you can go, way. And when you're going through hard times, you can breathe in and go, yah. And you're struggling, you breathe out and you go, way. That God is with me. So we have Elohim, we have God who's creating, and we have Yahweh who's ever present. The third name is Adonai. This is Master and Lord. The term is used to describe a, a merciful and a graceful God, a God who loves us, and a God who is capable of leading our lives. What's fascinating about you and me as human beings is that we give lordship of our lives over to so many things, culture, entertainments, other people, and yet God is the only one who's qualified and capable because he created us. He knows how we should live and he knows how we should move and he is leading us and, and guiding us. And only God is capable of leading our lives because only God knows what a human should look like. See, a lot of times we use the word, I'm only human when we do something stupid. I did something dumb. Well, I'm only human, right? As if being human is, is flawed and, and, and bad. And yet that's how God created us. He created us as human. And even our flaws and our failures and our mistakes are, can be redeeming qualities, can point people to the loving and kind God. That even our worst mistakes can point people to a God who loves us infinitely and saves us from ourselves. But what happens a lot of times is that we end up not following God and allowing God to lead us, but we end up following one another. We end up following culture, even if it's a Christian culture. Uh, for a long time in our nursery, uh, I would have a physical, hard paper copy of uh, a sign-in. And so if you brought a kid, it wasn't that long ago, you'd sign them in, put your phone number. If we had a problem, they would text you or call you, say, come get your, your kid, and that's how the system worked. And so what I would do is I would come in on Mondays, and it's right across from my office, and I walk by, and I go, there's only like three copies left. I need to make more copies. I would take the top copy. I would make, you know, 15, because that was too cheap to make, like, some for the year. And so I would take the 25, and I would put them on there, and then, you know, 25. Sundays later, I'd have to do it again. And what I noticed after a while, I mean, this is almost three years, we're digital now, thankful to 2023, there's this idea that when I would take that copy and I would make more, it started getting faded. And you couldn't see some of the lines and the words were starting because it's a copy of a million copies. See, I think a lot of our faith is a copy of a million copies. And you and I have the opportunity to go back to the source. We can go back to scripture. We can go back to what God says uh, about himself and, and, and what we can see what God uh, has done and through history and, and, and who he is. But instead, we want to copy other people, faith leaders and, and pastors and other Christians. And, and it's not that we don't need models and, and examples, but if we're not going back to the source, we're just going to be copying our faith till it's watered down and we see the effects of it in culture where churches look more like culture than they do Christ because they've been copied and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied, and yet we have the original manuscript in front of us. It's in front of every one of you in the seat in the pew back. And we can go back to the source that God created us and he's with us and he desires to lead us. And the only way that we can be led by God is to have a relationship with him, to walk with him through scripture and through uh, prayers and through uh, joining together and journeying together in our faith. That God created us and he's with us and he keeps leading us and he keeps guiding us if we'll allow him to. And in, in Psalm 8, David paints this most beautiful word picture of God. 
And he describes his involvement in our lives in Psalm 8.1. It says, Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Because of your adversaries, you have established a stronghold for the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you remember him? The son of God that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put him everything under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. God, creator God, ever present, is now leading us now guiding us, now working in our lives. That God who created heaven and earth now turns his creative potential to you and I. And he doesn't just create once, walk away, but he creates, he's involved in our life, and he leads it, and through leading it, he's continuing to create something new. If we'll allow him to, he'll make us new. We can come to him with our failure and our flaws and our sins, and we can say, create a new, clean heart in me, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me because God is both capable of immensity and capable of intimacy. That God is with us and he's present in our life and he's chosen to create something beautiful in us and through us. And he chooses to pursue you with his love regardless of our apathy and our disdain. God chooses to move heaven and earth to keep drawing you and compelling you back to him. That there is love and generosity and compassion being extended to you and I. But what happens a lot of times in the context of a church is that we talk a lot about a God who's more like a lovesick puppy. He's just sitting around waiting for you to come back to him. And, and we're wayward and running around. And he's sitting around going, just please come back, please come back, please come back. And, and it's not that there's not that aspect of God. But we've got it wrong, you and I. We're the sinners. Apart from Christ, we are nothing Instead of looking at God like a lovesick puppy and going, I don't know if I want to come back or not. We should go begging God, please take me. Please clean me up. Please forgive me of my sins. Please accept me back into right relationship with you. See, we flipped it. We've changed the narrative. And for you and I, we've got to come to God. And it's not that he's waiting for us to beg him because he's open arm, But we have to change our mindset to where we go pursuing him, going, God, I need forgiveness, I need love, I need grace, I need compassion, that we were never meant to live outside of a close relationship with God. And everything goes wrong in our lives when we separate ourselves from him through sin, and that's why Jesus had to come. And we'll talk more about this next week, but Jesus entered into the world to reconcile us to God, to make things right again between us and God. But in this room, right now, you might have been running from God. Maybe it's because you didn't know who he really was. See, what I believe, and maybe I'm a little crazy, but I believe when we discover who God actually is and why he actually created us and how he's actually involved in our life and how he actually wants to lead us, I think sin starts to lose its luster. I think when we discover who God actually is, sin starts to lose its shine. It starts to become less appealing to us. When we realize there's grace and mercy and love in a right relationship with God, we stop wanting to run, but we just submit our lives to him. 
and we watch how God moves in our life. So it's time. It's time for all of us. It's time for us to stop running. What I want us to do across the room is I want us all to evaluate our lives. And you may be here for the first time. This may be your first encounter with Scripture, and this may be your first encounter with God, and and I hope it's a, a healthy, good encounter with God. I hope that you can encounter God for who He really is. He's a God who loves unconditionally, but He loves us out of our sin. He loves us so much He doesn't overlook our sin. He loves us so much He doesn't overlook our failures and our flaws and our poor mistakes. He doesn't overlook us, but He loves us out of it. And there may be people in your life who use Scripture to to, to weaponize against you. There may have been people who've used God to, to beat you down, and I need you to know God desires for us to, be wa- to walk away from sin, but he's going to love us out of it. He's going to love us out of sin if we'll allow him to, but we have to let go. See, some of us have been holding on to uh, various aspects and control of our lives. We've been holding on to different parts of our life. It's time for us just to relinquish that and go, God, you're the only master of my life that I need. I'm going to give that over to you. Some of us, we've given that over to the enemy. We've given territory, ground, uh, aspects of our life over to the enemy. We've got to take it back and give it back to God. Understanding that he created us and he keeps creating in us. Understanding that he's ever-present in your life and he desires to lead us. Let's submit to him this morning. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes this morning.